Good morning, TGC. Hey, it's interesting to think um, that today would have been the day that the ladies came back from the women's retreat. And just want to thank the ladies that uh, planned the retreat and thank them for all the work that they did and uh, just trusting in God's providence that he knows what he's doing. In that vein, uh, just remember that we have a mercy fund. And to those that have an abundance right now, share it to the mercy fund. All those funds would just go directly to care for our members and to care for the world around us. Those kinds of funds don't go into the general fund. They just, they're, they're, they're there to care for our members. And if you have need, all you need to do is call the church office or email Leanne, and we can help you with whatever financial need that you have right now. Uh, one other thing I was going to say is just there's seven us, of us in a room that seats about 300, and uh, we were singing it each other. And one of my biggest longings for whenever God and his providence brings this whole thing to an end, whether that's May, whether that's June, July, I, I don't know, is to sing together. I can't wait to address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's the little things, right, that actually become the big things that we remember in these times, how much we value corporate worship, how much I personally value corporate worship. Okay, let's look at Jesus. In God's providence, this is the normally scheduled sermon that Trevor and I planned out in the fall, getting us ready to anticipate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. This is the trial of Jesus. And this morning, we're on holy ground again. So let me start by saying, think about it for a minute. God is on trial. The fullness of God dwelt within Jesus Christ. He is the second person of the Godhead. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And he's on trial. It shows the depth of our sinfulness. That we were willing to put... God in the dock. Why would a man like this even be put on trial? Any of us? You? Me? Sure. Put us on trial. I've erred. I've sinned. But this man, this man on trial, Let me show you a few things devotionally. Like I said, it's more devotional, a little bit different kind of sermon. I'm trying to press us into application a little bit more. Uh, notice in verse 13 something. Let me read it. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? You're not hearing that verse? 
And I see in that verse, and I push into us in that verse, the calmness of Jesus. Pilate's shocked. He's saying, don't you have anything to say? There's the quietness of Jesus. Pilate is stunned by the way that this man reacts. And I think that the point for us, by way of application, he's amazed, Pilate is amazed by the calmness and quietness of Jesus. He's saying, don't you realize what they're all saying about you? He's used to prisoners who come into his courtroom. He's used to it. He's seen it all the time. And they've got just a mouthful of excuses for whatever they've done. All the assertions for why they're innocent. All the reasons that they're begging for their acquittal. That they were accomplices and someone else was the chief criminal. Pilate is used to people begging people begging for their mercy. Making a case for themselves. But this man stands quietly and it, it, shocks, it shocks Pilate. There is a calmness and a steadiness to Jesus. In the midst of a time like this, there is a man that you can trust who is steady and is calm, even in the worst of circumstances. Last week, he was in the garden, and we saw him shudder. And he shuddered before enduring the wrath of God for us. But this week, and today, we see a man named Pontius Pilate confounded by this man's calmness, quietness, and steadiness. And that's for you. That's for you, this, that's for you today. This man is calm. This man is steady in the midst of trial, in the midst of circumstance. And that's yours by faith. You can trust and rest in his calmness and steadiness this morning. It's yours. George, why do you think he was steady and calm right there? Why do you think he didn't call down a host of angels and legions? But why do you think? He did it for you. He was calm for the times when you're not calm. Moving on. Jesus is being accused of treason, essentially. He's essentially being accused of trying to overthrow Rome, which of course would have been a capital offense, and that's why the charge was made. Uh, and the, the, the religious leaders knew what they were doing. They knew, how to, they knew how to work the system. They knew how to play it. The Sanhedrin says, okay, don't you understand what's happening here, Pontius Pilate? You've got to do something. You're going to be accountable to Rome. You've got to do something. You know... You have to remember, uh, 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 Israel exists now. You know, they've been 500 years since they've been released from captivity in Babylon. This is what's called Second Temple Judaism. They're just kind of allowed to kind of exist. 
as long as they don't upset the system. Just don't upset the system, and you can do your little Jerusalem thing, and that's fine. But now this man comes on the scene and declares himself to be the king of the world, to be the savior, to be greater than Caesar. So he's being accused of treason. And Matthew lets you know the nature of the charge because Matthew's been showing you and he's been teaching us about how his kingdom has been public. It's not been, it has been in private in some sense with the disciples, but Matthew's not hid anything. Jesus has not hid anything. So what does Jesus do at this accusation of treason? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So here's the application point. Application point two. Jesus is not moved by the movements of this world. Jesus is not moved by the movements of this world. When accused of treason, when accused of trying to overthrow the Roman government, the man says, my kingdom's not this world. I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not moved. I'm not persuaded. I'm not changed. I'm not altered by what's going on here. So again, the application point you have a steady man. You have a steady man who in the midst of even being accused of overthrowing the Roman Empire says, it's not my kingdom. It's not what I'm doing. So you can trust in that today. He's not moved by COVID-19. He's not moved by people losing jobs. He's not moved by upsets and upheavals in the church. He's not. He's not moved by it. He is not moved by the movements of this world. Okay. Verse 26. Pilate has Jesus sent away for flogging and crucifixion. Few things to see. The weakness of Pilate in the face of injustice. That's not justice. I mean, he knows. And what, what, what Matthew is showing us, Matthew is showing us in the actions of Pilate, is that Pilate knows he's innocent. Pilate knows he's innocent. Pilate's a weak man. And it's okay in some sense. Like, it's certainly condemnable. I'm not trying to condone it. But there's a juxtaposition here. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a deep irony here. Pilate knows he's innocent. And he crucifies him. The words of Pilate show that his 
betrayer even, has announced him to be innocent. And that's why the title of the sermon, I don't know if anybody still has a sermon card laying around, is called a kangaroo court. This is, a, this is what they call a kangaroo court. This is just an, this is an act of injustice. This is not, this is not real. The, the actors involved here know that what they're doing is wrong. He know, this is the righteous Lamb of God now. And this is the irony that I was saying. Pilate knows he's innocent and allows him to pr- be pronounced as guilty. Because God knows that the righteous Lamb of God needs to be led away to be slaughtered for the sins of his people. Sins he has not committed. In the deep, odd, strange providence of God, he allows his son to be crucified and to be called guilty by a man who knows he's not guilty for you and I. And this is not something new to the Gospel of Matthew, of course. Over and over again, Jesus has told his disciples, Matthew has told us over and over again that an innocent man is going to die. And that, of course, when Matthew drives his point as the denouement of the book, all the way till 27, the innocent man actually does die. Let me press one last thing into you. I, uh, I, had a, I have a friend, and his name is uh, <laughs> Saul Rexius. He's a pastor in Iowa now. We met when uh, we were in seminary together, and he, you know, he's, he's doing great things for the Lord now. And uh, he wrote a song once about Barabbas. And Barabbas, of course, is the man in the story who Pilate is, he doesn't know what to do. He's like, I'm going to go find the worst person in the room and see if I can maybe appease the people by saying, All right, let me give you the worst person in the room and maybe you'll let Jesus go. The truly innocent man was accused and forsaken so that the people could be set free. Read you part of his song, poem. There once was an evil man. He was an insurrectionist, a rebel, a murderer, and a notorious prisoner. But this day he would face justice. He had committed crimes worthy of death. Now he was going to be a victim of crucifixion. One of the most vicious forms of capital punishment known to mankind. Death on a cross was only for the worst of criminals. Maybe partly due to the cold night and maybe due to the inexpressible fears that he may have had. Barabbas shivered uncontrollably as he lay face down 
in his prison cell in utter despair. No hope, no defense, no answers. But in the distance, he could hear the people shouting and chanting, even though he thought he may have heard his name mixed in the barrage of yells and screams, there was one name he heard without mistake, Jesus. Maybe Barabbas had even heard of this man, although some had called him the Son of God. He was supposedly, this Jesus was a, was a worker of miracles and even claimed to be God in flesh. And maybe one of Barabbas' old friends had joined Jesus' following in the previous years. So why would there be shouting, violent shouting about such this man now? And as a painful reminder of his own impending doom, he could hear the crowd shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify. And this Barabbas was gripped with trepidation and terror. He heard something that made his stomach twist and his heart stopped and the shaking of keys. It was surely the coming sound of justice. But the next moment, the door opened and the soldiers yelled at him and said, leave. You're free. They're going to kill Jesus of Nazareth in your place. Twenty-seven four. Judas the betrayer. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. That's you and me. And yet, the blood that was shed on the cross that day is our vindication. It is our hope. It is our freedom. And he did it for our sake.